Well, as we continue our our series on seeking peace uh, with the Lord, with each other, um, Dave read a passage for us in Matthew 7 that we'll be alluding to a little bit here, but the emphasis of this passage is is on premature, improper correction. Uh, we can uh, approach people in the wrong way with the wrong motives, and, and that's what that passage is addressing. Uh, it warns us that be careful how you judge because that same form of judgment will come back to haunt you. You get the same thing in return. And so as we look at our, our title this morning, The Conflict, Is It Worth the Fight? Now, my wife and I have learned over the years that there's some things that just aren't worth arguing over. And we used to fuss over them, you know. You know, quit squeezing a toothpaste tube in the middle, roll it up, you know. Or uh, pick up your shoes or put your coat away, you know. Leave, quit leaving those things laying around. And, and actually, my wife quit hounding me about those things. And she was right. I need to take care of my shoes. I need to hang up my coat. But just because it's not worth a fight, she would take care of them. And now I'm trying to do my part and take care of them. <laughs> you know, trying to pick up after myself and do some things, you know, that, that we used to just make a big issue out of it. And so that creates a, a conflict within our relationship with our wives, our children, jobs, wherever. Wherever people, there's conflict. But what is the issue here? As we look at Scripture, there's kind of two areas, and then again, there's not rocket science here, but two kinds of issues that are the basis of our arguments. And one that we find in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15. We find here a young man that comes to the Lord and says, Then from one of the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. What's the Lord telling him here? The conflict between brothers was over material things. Now, if you understand Jewish law, this probably was not the oldest in the family. Because the oldest is the one that inherited the father's inheritance. But he wanted it. Now we have another parable with the prodigal son. Same thing, he wanted it. He got it. It wasn't good for him. He let the, the lust of things and the, the material things get. And it became a division between he and his father. Later, even he and his brother. But material things could be a big problem. And, and you've probably heard of this, or, and I hope it's not been involved in it, but you've heard of it, of individuals, families, especially... And, and I hate this, I've seen it too many times. A family member dies. Dad or mom, their last, last parent's gone. And then the children come in like vultures, wanting to divide the spoil, and they fight over it. And I've heard of situations where siblings don't talk for years because of the battle that went on and fighting over the material things. And in one case, I talked to Joe. It's been 20 years since I talked to my brother, and I can't even remember what the argument started over. But I won't talk to him. It must have been big, or I would have done something. You know, and, and we get stuck in these ruts that probably, if he could remember, it really wasn't worth it. But then there's another one that we're somewhat familiar with in the book of Acts. 
And it wasn't material, but it was a difference of opinions. Acts chapter 15, between Barnabas and Paul over Mark. And we don't know exactly what the concern was because we don't have any details. All we have is this in verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take uh, with them the one who had departed them in Pamphylia. Again, we don't know exactly why, but Mark left them and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul took Silas and departed, and being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. No details here, but there was a contention between the two. Now, exactly how they got that worked out, we don't know, but obviously they decided to go separate ways, which in some sense wasn't a bad thing. Instead of having one missionary team, now they got two. And in spite of the, whatever the contention may be, they continue to go on and they serve the Lord. So we need to look at our what we're arguing over or what we want to argue over. Hopefully we're, we're old enough and wise enough to stop and say, is this really worth an arguing over? And, and they really, when you look at things, there's very, very little that is worth arguing over in this short life that we have. But in Mark, Matthew um, 6.33, when we analyze the things that we want to begin to grumble about and, and press for to get our way, it all boils down, and I'm not going to read the whole passage here, but in Matthew chapter 6, it talks about, uh, don't worry about your life, what you eat, what you drink, look at the birds, look at your stature, don't worry about how tall you are, how short you are, it doesn't really matter, it's, it's not worth fussing over. But verse 33 is the one I want to look at. But, remember what I said a couple weeks ago, whenever you see that word but, circle it, because it means a transition, and it's an important one. But, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, he hasn't talked about pursuing any kingdom, has he? Not in specific words, pursuing your kingdom. But he says, if you're not pursuing God's kingdom, whose kingdom are you pursuing? Your own. And that's what all these verses above are talking about. I'm worried about how tall I am, how important I am, what kind of money I get. I'm worried about building my kingdom to be, I want my lifestyle centered around me. That's my kingdom. And that's where the conflicts come. Because I got to admit, in my own home, especially early on in the, in the marriage, we, we enter our marriages with a preconceived idea of what the marriage is going to be like. How long did it take for you to find out that it wasn't going to be that way? And then what do you do? You try to manipulate your spouse or your children, whoever's in your world, to fit that kingdom that you've got in your mind. And if they don't comply, then we begin to stir the pot to manipulate or do whatever we got to do to get them into that kingdom of ours. But our emphasis here is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not mine, His. And when we keep that focus, that will take all the fire out of our conflicts. 
Because now we're working together between the two of us to develop what God wants us to do as a team. And we should be challenging each other. In fact, I had a chance to talk to a gentleman this week. He was uh, beginning to date a gal. In fact, he only dated two days. And he was already in, in uh, awe of her. And uh, found out he was a Christian. In fact, he goes to church in uh, Bridgeport. And so we got to talking about that. And, and the, he's had a failed relationship already. And, and so I, I wanted to give him some... Some, something to think about as he begins to build and look at this relationship. And so I asked him, I said, in your last relationship, well, why did you get together? Well, we loved each other. Yep, that's good. Good answer. But let me give you a better one. As you begin to pursue this relationship, ask this of this young lady in your own mind and maybe even present to her in some way. Can this young lady help me grow in my relationship to Jesus Christ? And you need to be asking the question of you. Can I help her grow in her relationship with Jesus Christ? If you make that your priority, when you come together in your relationship, you're going to be building God's kingdom. And guess what? You're going to have an awesome relationship. I said, I can speak from experience. Been married, will be 39 years this year. And every year it gets better. Now, we had some rough years there, as I've mentioned before, and it really wasn't my wife's fault, it was mine. I was trying to build my kingdom with her. But when I made my point of living to build his kingdom, and it's all about him, it changed my whole perspective on what I was doing, and it got better. I still struggle with it, because I still have my sin nature. But I'd like to think I'm doing better. I hope you'll grasp that because when we get into these relationships, we have this Cinderella syndrome. we got to visualize what it's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to go. And when it doesn't go, then we try to manipulate the other to get it. Here's the only kingdom we need to have. It's God's kingdom. And when we do it his way, so that eliminates the personal matters. It's not about me. It's about him. And when it's about him, then it becomes about you. Our, our, our club that we have on Sunday night for the kids is joy. Now, that's not just joy having fun. It's Jesus, others, and you. We're last in line. We sang this morning about humility. That puts us on the bottom of the, path, of the pile. It's not about me. And when we do that, it makes a big difference when conflicts begin to develop. Personal matters get more complicated when we bring in all these. And we can begin to stockpile things. You ever done that in your relationship? Your wife did something and, and you didn't take care of it. And the next day she did something more, or her husband or whatever, and it begins to pile up. And eventually what happens to the pile? It collapses and everything goes everywhere. And you take care of the little things before they become big things. And I, this, this is not my notes here, but I thought of it this morning. I was reviewing my notes. There are some things that are good. But when that good thing becomes so important, it becomes the only thing. Now it becomes a bad thing. We can't put too much emphasis on some good things and make it become a priority that really doesn't need to be there. 
So we must carefully and prayerfully sort out and stick to the major issues. Again, we addressed that in Bible study. If you're not coming to Bible study, you're missing some good teaching. But we talked about issues and how they become tedious. Would you agree with me in this statement? Christianity is basically very, very simple. When you stop and think about it, what complicates it? My sin. Because I want to put a twist in the truth. And when you put a twist in the truth, it, it complicates things. Christianity, and so Paul was addressing that in the Philippians and Colossians that we look at today. Life gets tedious when we do it any other way but his way. So we've got to stop stockpiling issues. We need to ask, is this worth fighting over it? Deal with the major issues. And I have deserved over a good many years now, when you take care of the major issue, nine times out of ten you'll take care of all the little ones. Because all the little ones are just fragments that come off the big one. And that's what God's Word tells us to do. Now, can it be overlooked? We need to look at all these verses because there are some things we need to just overlook and we need to have a biblical premise for that. So let's turn to Proverbs chapter 17. We're going to look at all these four verses because I, maybe you don't need it, but I need it. I, I need to know that there's certain things that I just need to not make an issue and overlook it. And I need the scriptures to, to support that. But Proverbs 17 verse 14 says, Beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. Stop it before it starts. Beginning of strife is like releasing water. We know what water does, right? We've seen floods. You've probably seen movies where a dam broke and what it can do. It can do tremendous damage. So he's saying stop it before it starts. Verse 11 of chapter 19. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. And his glory is to overlook a transgression. There are some things. We'll look at a little bit more in the next passage with 1 Peter 4.8. The motive behind it. Why do we just let things go? And, and sometimes there's something that can't, we can't let it go, but there's some things that we'll try to define that for us this morning. 1 Peter 4 8 says this Above all things, have fervent love for one another. What's that word fervent mean? Passionate, hot, ferocious love. Now again, we're not talking about the physical love, sexual love. It's talking about a godly, divine love. In fact, the word love here is the agape love. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Let's ask this question of ourselves. What if we got our just punishment for every sin we ever committed against God? Where would you and I be today? We wouldn't get out of the doghouse, would we? How many sins does Christ, in a sense, overlook for us? We need to practice the same thing. Ephesians 4, 32.
Be kind one to another when everything's going okay. Doesn't say that, does it? It says be kind one to another and it means no matter what the situation is. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, and here's the clincher, isn't it? Even as God and Christ forgave you. God has never sought revenge from his children. It's washed under the blood. Now he will chastise us, but it's not vengeance. So vengeance is for those who don't accept Christ are cast in the lake of fire. And we know scripture says, we looked at a couple weeks ago, God is not looking forward to that day. He does not want to do it, but it will have to be done. Psalm 103 admonishes us to be slow to anger. If you're one that's given to a quick temper, I trust that you know that and you're cautious of that. Psalm 103, verse 8 says this. The Lord is merciful. Again, see the Lord coming there? He's our example. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punishes according to our iniquities. He is our example. That is the way we are to respond when someone makes us angry. In fact, I have come to learn this over the years, and I find it to be true. I think I've said this before, but I repeat it again because we need to re we need to be convinced of this. No one can make me angry. If I get angry at you, or you get angry, I get angry at somebody, it's because I choose to. Same thing with God. God chooses not. He's angry at the sin because it makes a separation between me and him. But he's not going to take it out of me personally. We are to get angry. James says, be angry and sin not. The anger is to focus the energy on the sin issue and resolve it, but not to attack each other. So what's the definition of anger? It's a strong feeling of, of displeasure and belligerence aroused by a real or a supposed wrong. So how do we be slow to anger? We've got to show grace. We've got to show compassion. Now what's grace? Sometimes some individuals, we've got to look at them and say they're an unsaved individual. They can't help themselves. You have to consider the source. Were we in their shoes at one time in life? We were all unsaved at some point. Some of you didn't get saved until you were in your, in your adulthood. And so there was a lot of anger going in your life. I've heard some of you share how your marriages were a little bit rocky because you were fighting to build your own kingdom. The marriage was not healthy, it was not good. But when you begin to measure, add some grace to the anger and be patient and, and find a biblical resolution to it, knowing that there is one, well, your marriage has got better, your relationship got better. But where did it get better first? With him. 
you begin to acknowledge and understand His grace and you can take His grace and apply it to your situation. So we need to show grace and compassion. Not be quick to accuse. Not be quick to hold a grudge. Don't be quick to take an offense. Don't be quick to be mad because if you do, it's your own choice. No one makes us mad. Because we say, you made me mad. No, you didn't make me. No one twisted my arm. It was my choice. When do we overlook matters? First Peter says, as we looked at already, love covers a multitude of sins. When there has not been a wall created between us. Now again, you come home, you kick your shoes off, your wife has just cleaned the kitchen floor, and now there's mud all the floor. Right? Steve's laughing. It looks like he's done that before. <laughs> We've all done it. And she comes in and sees this and lashes out. And then you're not, then you're cold shoulders all night long. But is that worth fussing over? You know, gently say, honey, could you, I just cleaned that floor, could you please? But if a wall gets built up there somehow, where there's this ice between you, and in reality, if we're both being godly, what are we supposed to do? We'll look at this here a little bit later, but we're supposed to come together. And guys, if you're like me, who comes first? He's the wife, isn't it? That's to our shame, it's to my shame. But if we're both godly, we should be meeting somewhere in the middle, come in at the same time. Yeah, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and we come together. But when no serious harm has been done to the image of Christ or others, some things are just so minor, it's really not worth making a stink over. Now, if we see a pattern beginning to develop where we can see this could be potentially a sinful habit that is not going to be good, then we need to bring it to that person's attention. But if it's a one-time thing, you know, you, your husband hits his thumb and he comes out with a curse word that he's not normally doing, do you jump all over and what's wrong with you? Or do you say, yeah, I might have done the same. And you got that black thumb there. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's maybe a one-time thing that we don't really need to make a big fuss over. And this is not a passive action. This is active in that we are choosing not to hold a grudge. And we're choosing not to dwell on the matter. If it's not a big deal, put it out of your mind. If it comes to your mind, what do you do with it? You get your mind off of it. How many times have we laid in bed at night and let a storm brew in our head? Right? Boy, is that easy to do. We could put up a lot of steam at night and keep that bed warm, can't we? If we could just get that steam out of here and under the covers, because, man, there's a storm brewing. But God's word says, you know, this is a minor issue. I am not going to let this make a division between me and my Savior and me and my spouse or my friend or whatever it is. I'm just not going to let that happen. And I'm going to put my mind on something else. And we deliberately. So it's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. Because you know how it is. You're human like I am. It is very easy to let these things just brew in our head. 
in our heart. So love always, love allows us to not make minor issues into major ones, but focus on the things that are really important. Matthew 5, 23. That's the passage. If you go to prayer and you remember you got something against your brother, go to them and take care of it. If there's a wall there, you can't get it off your mind, there is something there that's troubling you, then by all means, go and take care of it as quickly as you possibly can. So how do we check our attitude? Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, 2 through 9. We have two ladies here that aren't getting along. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Those three words are key. You should underline those in your Bible. Because again, this is about building God's kingdom and not Yoda's king, uh, kingdom or Syntyche's kingdom. It's about building God's kingdom together in the Lord. We're going to do this right. So how do we do that? Let's go to verse 4. We need to re rejoice in the Lord when things are going well. Doesn't say that, does it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Even when there is conflict, even when there's a problem, rejoice in the Lord. What do we got to rejoice in? We got a problem. We can't get along. We rejoice because God has forgiven us. And we can do the same. Keep in mind what God has done for you. How many things has God forgiven us? Again, how many things has He overlooked? Then verse 5. It says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. How far away is the Lord to help resolve these things? He is at hand. He is there. And we are to show gentleness, which means to be forbearing, large-hearted, gentle, courteous, considerate, lenient. That's what that word gentle means. And, and that's what God expects us to be towards each other in these processes. And yet, it's very easy for us to let the anger begin to build. Proverbs 15, 8 says, uh, or 15, 1, um, I was going to quote it and it just went out of my head. Um, Oh, pardon? Yeah, soft answer. Thank you. <laughs> a soft answer turns away wrath. I never look behind me. So I don't know what's back here. Um, but a soft answer turns away wrath. And so I've counseled couples that have a problem with that. You know how it is because you've done it too. You argue and then you got to get your voice above hers. And then you got to get it above his. And it just continues to escalate, right? If one person keeps their voice down here, where's the other one got to go? <laughs> if nothing else, you've reduced 50% of the noise in the room. <laughs> We're to be gentle. We're not permitted to raise our... In fact, has any of our arguments ever been resolved because I got my voice above hers? So why do we go there? The Bible instructs us to be gentle. 
gentleness can help keep things from escalating. Then it says be anxious. These gals got anxious. We don't know again what they were arguing over. I think there's a reason for that because how many different things can we find to argue over? <laughs> but Paul is challenging these folks to work together with them because these girls were hard workers and they were pleasing the Lord. And certainly one time they labored with me in the gospel and they allowed something to get in there. Got to be in their bonnet and they let it get out of hand. But we get laden down with, with these cares. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Six and seven. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What's the first thing we do? Pray. It's kind of like in the boxing ring. Now that's a... Well, I don't know, if you've ever watched a boxing match, they always taunt each other, you know, I'm the bigger man before they get into the match. But it's all part of the thing. But they get in and when they get done, they shake hands and they're friends. Now, somebody punches me in the nose, that's not my friend. I don't understand these boxers. You know? Uh, pardon? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. But you'd have to pay me an awful lot of money to get my nose busted. <laughs> I just can't go there. Uh, they hit me in the nose, and I'm not going to see for <laughs> my eyes be watered so bad I couldn't see. But anyway, they enjoy doing it. They love it. That's their thing. But uh, uh, God says here to pray. So when they go to their separate corners, it's kind of like they're trying to pray and get their heads together so we can get into the next match. That's not what we're doing. Lord, help me win this argument. No, it's praying, Lord, help us to please you in settling this matter in a way that would please you. We need prayer. If we try to do without him, it's not going to be a good outcome. we got to go to him in prayer. <laughs> he makes that clear. 1 Peter 5. There's some other verses that aren't in your notes here. but um, 1 Peter 5, 6-10. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be serious, be vigilant, be on guard, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Rest in him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the, that, that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, what you're experiencing, everybody else experienced too. Everybody's got the same thing going on. But, again, circle but, my God be, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, established, strengthened, and settled you. We are to grow in our conflicts. That's what this is saying here. Whatever, whatever the form the conflict is, it's to mature us, to establish us, strengthen us. Now, if you've been practicing these things over the years and your marriage is getting better, has that not made your marriage better? Isn't there not more consistency of joy in your relationship? That's what he's talking about here. 
our lives become more stable as a result of it. And James 1.5 simply says this, if you lack any wisdom, ask. Have you ever gotten a situation? I don't know what to do. I thought when you go to God and ask, He'll give you the answers. It may not come as quick as you want it, but it'll get there. That's what we pray for. So we need to be cautious about the anxiousness. We get laden down with the cares. It pressurizes us. It squeezes us. So we must learn to put off the sin and put on the righteousness. Proverbs chapter 4. And I might suggest as we, you know, we're adults and just kind of getting a handle on this stuff. Um, those of you still raising them, Stephanie's here with, with the little ones. but I know we did this with our kids. Jim and Mike would be fighting. Well, I had it first. Well, did you really have it first? Yes. Well, then give it to him. What did that solve? Did I teach them how to resolve a conflict in a godly manner? Not at all. Now we get a little older or wiser, but I wish we'd done it sooner. <laughs> but you know, we need to teach our kids early on when they're scrapping over simple stuff how to resolve their conflicts properly in a, in a godly manner instead of waiting until adulthood and we got bigger issues. But verse 22 of chapter 4 of Proverbs says, For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs issues of life. Do we get the impact of that verse? Why are we fussing over these things? Because it's showing what's important to us. And out of our mouth and out of our behavior, we are revealing what's important. That's what it's saying. So that's a good thing. If we see something or hear something coming out of our mouth, or we see something coming out of our behavior that's not good, oh, I see that. I identify that. I need to fix this. Because that's what a conflict does. It brings out the worst in us so we can deal with it. It says, put away from your, you a deceitful mouth. And they put perverse lips far from you. In other words, love the truth. Because what does truth do for us? Sets us free. As long as we're playing well, and what about half-truth? What's a half-truth? A lie. So if it's not pure truth, why are we playing with it? But it says here, but perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead. I don't know if you could call this blinders, but maybe, you know, we don't have horses much, but you used to put blinders on the horses so they wouldn't be distracted. Maybe that's what we need. But on, on my blinders, I want the scripture here and I want scripture here. I want the blinders to be the word. And your lids and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder your feet and let all your ways be established. You know, we're accused as Christians of being narrow-minded. How does that affect you? Are we narrow-minded? I am and proud of it. I'm as narrow as this book. And I don't want to any, be any broader than this. Because when I do, I'm getting myself into trouble. 
So we need to be narrow-minded. We need to put it off. That makes it very clear. And again, he's pointing out, by our mouth and by our actions, we prove what our heart is, what our motive is. And he tells us to change it. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks will be opened. The Lord wants us to have peace. All we got to do is ask and it will come. It might come with some wrestling. We might have to wrestle with ourselves to get through some things. But this peace is a peace that can't be understood. In fact, Philippians 4, 7. Very important passage in regard to this. It says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Now we want this peace because the next phrase explains why. This peace will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now what's a guard? It provides protection. How many of you enjoy peace? Don't we all? So if we start seeing our peace drifting from us, what do we got to do? We got to realign the way we think or maybe realign what we are doing or both to keep that peace. So you see how the peace can be a guard? When you sense yourself drifting into an area where there's no peace, stop and think, what am I doing? How am I thinking wrong? That's always going to be the case. Somewhere we're thinking something wrong. Because the body doesn't do anything without the brain telling it. But when we actually do something wrong, now we got the two together, and that's a dangerous place to be, but it doesn't have to be, because we can see that this peace can guard it. So our focus is on Christ and not self. Yoda and Syntyche, back to verse 2 of chapter 4 of Philippians, they need to be of the same mind, on the same page with the Lord. They had to focus on Christ. We need to see things as they really are. Look for the good in the other person. Now we do that all the time, don't we? We get at odds with somebody, and what do we right away begin to do? Every little stinking fault they got, we magnify it to blown out proportions, right? You're agreeing with me, so you've been there, you've done that too easy thing to do because of our sin nature. What are we trying to do? If we analyze it, what I'm trying to do is I want to make myself look better than you because I know deep down in, I'm the one that's wrong, but I don't want to admit it. So I got to convince myself, deceive myself, I'm better than you. And so I try to blow up everything I can out of proportion. It's a bad place for us to be because it just makes things worse. But really, if we look at that individual, there's a whole lot more good about you than there is bad. And that's when we need to stop and think. God, I thank you for this person in my life and these qualities that they express towards me. I benefit from them. Lord, I don't want to lose that. So let's resolve this quickly. So what about my rights? Do we have any rights? Yeah, Scripture does say we have some rights. 
But Paul says, I don't have to exercise my rights. It's a privilege. It's my choice. Again, we talked about that this morning. Someone Sunday school about the eating the meat to the idols. Paul says, you go to somebody else, they got a steak on the... Don't ask where it came from. Just eat it. <laughs> now, if somebody questions it, well, now for your sake, I might not eat it. But if there's no questions, eat it. Don't question it. But his privilege is, I can eat this because God don't care, so I'm going to eat it. But if it bothers you, I'm going to refrain. I have the right, but I'm not going to exercise my right. It's a privilege. So our, our rights must be legal if we're going to have to go to court. And there are some times when we have... Now, I, I, we're not going to look at it today. I think we'll look at it later. But if there are legal entanglements between two believers, and not even necessarily the same church, let's say you're working for a believer somewhere else, and a legal thing comes up, I believe the believers should do everything they possibly can to resolve it outside of court. Scripture says that. Well, we're not going to look at it today, but should there be a legal thing, then, then there are legal things that we need to do. And sometimes it can't be avoided, uh, but at all costs we want to avoid, especially between believers. It shouldn't be done. And what's our goal? 1 Corinthians 10.31. Our goal is to bring glory to God. We want the world out there to see that we have an awesome God that will bring unity and maintain unity with us and we can get along. It's sad. You know, I, I remember we were in Huttonsville. I was talking to a gentleman and he quit going to church because all these churches in this valley fight. And I got to admit, when we got there, I heard a lot of horror stories about business meetings within the churches where there was literally fistfights, screaming matches going on in the churches. And he said, I'll bet you have fun with yours too. And I said, yeah, we do actually. What do you mean? I said, we've never had an argument. We always get along. Well, it's a good time my other business meetings. Well, I don't believe that. I said, well, I don't care if you do or not. But we are unified in what Christ would have us do and we get along. And that's probably why we were the only church in the valley that was growing. <laughs> But it was a bad reputation to the people in the community when they heard all these churches that were fighting among themselves. And that's not the way God intended for it to be. So our rights are not deserved, they're privileges. Just back to Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each Jew look out not for his own interest, but also, because the word but also says, I can look out for my own interest, but that's not my priority. My priority is your interest. So we must put others first. We need to ask these questions. Will exercising my rights honor God? Will exercising my rights advance the kingdom of God? Or will it advance my kingdom? Will exercising my rights benefit somebody else? Or will exercising my rights be essential for my spiritual well-being? My rights are actually to develop and enhance the image of the gospel of Jesus Christ, my relationship first with him, and then with others. When we have an issue developed that has created tension, we best 
immediately examine our own heart. What we say, and, I, and I, I, what I say, I, I don't mean just the words we use. And you moms know what I'm talking about because you've done this with your kids. Your kids come into the room, they say something. The words are fine. There's no cuss words in there. It, it's, they're nice words. But don't speak to me in that tone of voice. Because that tone tells you what's going on in the heart. So we might use the right words, but the tone is totally wrong. And if it's not, if they're really disciplined, the words are good, the tone is good, but the body language has got it. You know, it's still revealing, and that's all part of the language, isn't it? And I'm sure you guys and you girls, you've never rolled your eyes at your husband or wife, right? All part of the language. So our conclusion, when we have an issue develop that creates tension, we must immediately examine our, is there sin and my part? That was the, the, the portion of the verse that, that Dave read this morning. Get that plank out of it. it it's, check your attitude. Is there anything I am doing sinfully to contribute to this problem? Take care of it first and they say, I contributed this to the problem. Now let's work on this together. Do I want something for the purpose of building my kingdom? Am I trying to manipulate you? Is this a matter I can overlook? Because it's not really serious. And not make a big deal out of it. Now, if it begins, I caution, if you see it begin to develop a, a habitual pattern, then it needs to be addressed because you want to prevent that if it's at all possible. But do it gently, Galatians 6.1. If it needs to be addressed, I need to make sure my attitude is right. I need to make sure my goal is to build God's kingdom and not my own. Now again, I guarantee you, if you haven't already been learning these things, this will make your relationship within home a whole lot better. It will just magnet, transform a home life. And most of the time when we come in with husband and wives and counseling sessions, that's exactly where we're at. These things have got to be addressed. And if both parties work at it, guaranteed the marriage will be improved. But if one wants to and the other doesn't, then it's a little more challenging, but even if the other party does not participate, we are still responsible to do the godly thing. Even if they don't. Just because they lose their temper does not give us the right to lose the temper. You'll find that nowhere in Scripture. So peace with God and each other is worth more than just getting things our way. When we get what we want after a battle... There's usually no peace. But if we do it God's way, there will be. Seek a biblical remedy. Seek out the goal that God would have us to have. And enjoy that peace. Because remember, I remind you again from other passages we looked at previously. Why did Christ come? That we might have peace. Now, peace this side of death or the rapture is not going to be perfect. But we can enjoy more peace and a richer peace consistently 
as long as we do it His way. Thank God there's a day coming when peace will be perfect. I long for that and so do you. No more tears, no more sorrow. All that's going to be gone. It can't come soon enough. As I was talking to someone yesterday, I guess it was Gail and Jim where I were talking about last night. Life is tough. I don't think it's going to get any better. I could lie to you, but I'm not going to... We all believe it's going to probably get worse before it gets better. God has us here and for one reason only. There has to be someone to show the world how to do it right. And folks, guess who it is? It's us. So as things in this world begin to continue to fall apart and there's less and less peace in the world, we need to have neighbors that can observe us, people that we work with observe us, and they see a sense of peace on our face and in our behavior. And a smile on our face knowing that I don't have perfect peace now, but it's coming. And I know where to find it. And it's in Jesus Christ. And so we become like that light in a dark world to a bug. You know what I'm talking about. If you've got a night light at your house in the summertime, it just draws the bugs in. Folks, we're that light in a dark world. And we need to be appealing to the world and enjoying his peace and practicing that peace is what's going to do that. And that's what God is challenging us to do today. Ask ourselves the question, is this really worth an argument? Nine times out of ten, it's not. So let's just do what we got to do and maintain the peace and enjoy it. Father, thank you. You knew what this world was going to be like when you made it. You knew there would be this constant conflict between ourselves and between you. And Father, we're living in a world that doesn't know what peace is. And never know it until your son comes and rules for a thousand years. What an exciting time that's going to be. There'll be peace even in the animal kingdom. What an awesome time. We look forward to that. God, can we start it today? We long for it. But Father, we know that we can have a measure of peace, and as Peter says, a peace that passes understanding. How can I have this peace in a sin-cursed world? I don't understand. But we know it's possible only because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Help us to focus upon you. As Yura and Syntyche were challenged by these individuals to, to seek peace in the Lord. That's the only place it can be found. Help us, Father, to stop building our own kingdoms and build a kingdom in Jesus Christ. And help us to meet in the middle, humbly, with the Word of God in our lap and praying diligently to seek peace your way. And we know that this will glorify you. And we know it's only possible by the shed, of, shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.